Sunday, October the 8th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. We are on episode three, week three of Living Out of the Depths. Stop splashing in the shallows. When someone brings a depth of themselves, a depth of love, a depth of authenticity, vulnerability, a depth of the presence of God, that moment is changed. It is a gift to that moment. We want to be with those kind of people because we know the way that it touches us, impacts us, and changes us. I trust we want to be those kinds of people to others, those that live out of the depths, a place of courage and vulnerability, a place where the the true self of us and God is on display, touchable, reachable, and knowable, because in those moments, we become a gift to the people around us. And so this series is about how can we learn to live out of the depths? How can we learn to go deeper that we might rise taller? How can we learn to build a foundation that goes down enough so that God can build on the upside of our lives all that he wants to do? And as part of this series, we're following the life of Moses. And we saw in week one how we need to recognize that all of us carry that capacity to go deep. Can you remember what Moses' mum said about Moses? Uh, On one level, uh, it says he was an ordinary child. And then in the other kind of cadence, it says that he was extraordinary, depending on what translation you use. He was a fine child. There was something ordinary about him, just another baby with hands and feet and all the rest of it, crying and googling. And yet, there was something incredible about this baby, in the same way that there's something incredible about you and me. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. You carry a depth, a richness. And then we were confronted like an oncoming train about the reality that Moses was confronted with and is true for our own lives. The sobering reality that so often what lies in our depths is pretty ugly. At least it was for Moses. And if we listen carefully to the words of Jesus, he says of your life and mine, this is Jesus. I think you're great, but Jesus says in your depths, there's some stuff that's pretty ugly, that's not quite right. And we saw last time how Moses, perhaps for the first time, lived out of the depths of his life. For the first time, his actions matched his feelings. And that's where the power is. That's where something altogether different is unlocked when our actions match our feelings. It's where resilience comes from in the positive sense. But here, for the first time in his life, Moses let all that was in come pouring out and he killed someone. He killed someone. There is a huge power when your actions and feelings line up. And when he acted, 
On the basis of his inner life, all that anger and hatred poured out and he killed a man. And the reason that we so often splash in the shallows is to protect ourselves and others from what's found in the depths of our own souls. Otherwise, we might go around smashing people's faces in as well. And that's bad, apparently. You're going to have to lighten up. That's bad, apparently. You know that. You know that's bad, don't you? Moses had to deal with his inner world, and so do we. Today's question is this. How did Moses deal with his inner world? How do we deal with ours? How did Moses deal with his depths? It's a great question. Anyone interested in the answer? Anyone willing to pretend that they might be interested in the answer? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Because that's what coming out of the depths is all about. I'm going to fake it until I make it. I'm going to pretend. We are told in verse 15 of Exodus chapter 2, whatever the answer is, you can find it in the scriptures. Here we go. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. There it is. That's how Jesus, uh, sorry, that's how Moses dealt with his depths. Number one, he fled. He fled, but one day he would return. We know the end of the story, don't we? So we know where this is going. One day Moses will come back a very different person to bring about God's purpose in a very different way. But for now, he fled. He took time out. He removed himself from that situation where his actions and his thoughts were all out of control, where he was making a mess of things. He left, he went away to go, and sometimes that's what we need to do. We need to flee from all of the mess that's making up our lives. We will return for sure, but there are times to flee. There are times to retreat in order to return. If you're making notes, write that down because it's brilliant. There are times to retreat in order to return. Who was the master of retreating and returning? Jesus. We'll come back to that. You were lucky. The answer was Jesus in this instance. It's not always Jesus, but just then it was, and you got yourself a big tick. We need to come back to Jesus in a little while. Notice the second thing that he did. He went to Midian. Midian was as far from the heart of his life, was as far from other people, was as far from distraction as he could possibly go. It's like going to mid-Wales. There's just nothing there. One person, millions of sheep. He went to Midian. Now, we often flee. We often flee that place of pain that place where we're making a mess, that place where we're screwing up, that place where we're uncomfortable, where do you flee to when you flee those things? Do you flee to your phone? Do you flee to your fridge? Do you flee to your next purchase? Do you flee to the next TV show, novel, game? Do you flee to the next adventure? Have I covered all of us yet? Where do you flee when you're trying to get away from who you are? Where do you flee? Where do you pull in just for a bit of anesthetic from it all? Where do you flee when you just need to self-soothe a little bit? 
all of us, go to our addictions. We don't call them that. We call them habits. It makes us feel a lot better. We go to our addictions. Because it makes you feel better in the moment. None of these things, well, maybe some of the addictions are, maybe all of them are. In fact, let me qualify that. All of those things are not necessarily bad things in and of themselves. Obviously, something that becomes an addiction is a bad thing, whatever it is. Those things are not necessarily bad things in and of themselves. They can be good things. And they can be good to us. They help us to survive. If you didn't go to those things, you would be disintegrating even more than you probably already are on the inside. We go to those things because they help us. They help us get through, but they also keep us splashing in the shallows. They help us, but they keep us splashing in the shallows. If those things really did help us in the depths of our being, then we'd be skipping through the tulips, singing the sound of music, wouldn't we, all of us? Because we all do those things. If those things really helped us get to the core of who we are, then we'd be utterly transformed, wouldn't we? And one day maybe there'll be an app for that. No, there won't. That was just a joke. You're a hard crowd today. What is it? You worried about me because I went to an Anglican church this morning? You're thinking, oh, you might have liked them better. Do you know the only great thing about going to another church is when I come back here, I feel at home. Uh, now I'm just saying that. I feel something quite different inside. No, no, I'm just messing with <laughs> Just kidding. Turn to the person next to you and decide which one of you is A and which one of you is B. If you are B, okay, not A, the A's were all, I'll go first, I'll take control of this. <laughs> It'll backfire on you, first you'll be last. If you are B, if you are B, I want you to say to person A, I think Simon is talking nonsense. What do you think? Go. Okay, Moses fled, he went to Midian, we often go somewhere else. How would you describe Midian? Like mid-Wales, with lots of sheep. (laughs) Moses went to a place where there was virtually nothing. The Bible uses a word for that. The word is solitude. Moses fled and went into solitude in Midian. And then look at the third thing. I love the Bible. It's just so cool. What did he do next? He stopped at a well. Isn't that brilliant? Now, whenever the Bible communicates stuff to us, It works on multiple levels, doesn't it? We know that. Especially in the Old Testament, written in Hebrew, way more nuanced and subtle than our English translations are. 
So we will immediately think, well, it's obvious that he sat down by a well because he wanted a drink. It was in effect, there's nothing all around, so I'll stop at the Starbucks. That's what, it's at a physical level, it just seems totally obvious. However, however, this verse is covering multiple years of someone's life. He sat down at a well. Really? It's a bit like saying, what did you do in the 80s? Oh, I ate beans on toast. It it makes no sense in terms of a physical thing. What does it mean that in this period of solitude, Moses sat down at a well? What do you know about wells in the Bible? Remember, there's always a nod and a wink all over the place. What, What do you know about wells? Ooh. Yeah, Jesus, the woman at the well. Now there's a thought. Have you ever wondered why Jesus stopped at a well on his way through Samaria? And whether the well was significant? What is it, why is the well even part of the story? The well, water in the ancient East, and to a certain extent across cultures today, the well is symbolic of the depths of our being. When it says that Moses sat down at a well, fast forward a minute, pause that, fast forward, Jesus meets a woman at the well, and what does he do? He reaches into the depths of her soul. You with me? I'll tell you what's going on, where you need to worship. More than that, I'll tell you about all that's going on the inside, those unresolved relationships, those pains, the fact that you've tried to meet your deepest need with one man after another, and the man you're with, now you can't even bother committing with him because you know it's not working, but you don't know what else to do because you're trying to deal with what's in your heart. And Jesus said, didn't he, that the spiritual person will have what? They'll have streams of living water from where? From deep within. There'll be a well springing up. Another Bible verse, to eternal life. Jesus said that he was the water of life. And then here at the beginning in Exodus, it says Moses sat down by a well and most people go, oh, he was thirsty. But you and I were cleverer than that. We go, ah, well, I know. Jesus sat down, uh, sorry, Moses sat down with the depths of his soul. Oh, now we're, now we're thinking. Wasn't about a, a, a drink for his body, but it was a thirst in his soul. In settling down, he begins to get in touch with the honesty of what's lurking beneath his heart. That question that we asked ourselves last time, he must have been barely burying this uh, this person in the sand going, where on earth did that come from? But we know where it came from. But Moses was going to need to discover himself where it came from. The primary function of solitude is to find ourselves and God in our deepest places. Let me say that again if I can remember it. The primary function of solitude is to find ourselves and God in our deepest places. The longer we have lost ourselves, the longer it takes to find our way home. Solitude is God's gift to deal with our depths. 
Solitude is God's gift to deal with our depths. He fled, he left, he went into solitude, and he sat down by a well. The huge difference between going to a solitary place and embracing solitude. We'll look at all of that next week. For now, he fled and he stopped by this well. Let's remind ourselves uh, what was what we were looking at last um, last week. I need to do a drawing again. How does that make you feel when I need to do a drawing? It makes me feel panicked. Remember what we said last week? See, I've been practicing. See how quickly I did that? What is that? A heart. Oh, thank you. I thought it was a squirrel, but it, no, it looks like a heart. Uh, remember what we said? So there might be all sorts of nice good things in your heart, yeah? So there's like clear water here, yeah? That's, that's really good. All the good stuff, yeah? But there's also all the stuff that's not so good, isn't there? That's just kind of like here. But of course, it's not like that, is it? Because your heart is doing what? It's pumping. So actually, what color is the water? If you've got clean glass, put mud in it and shake it up. What have you got? You've got muddy water, okay? That, that's, that's the reality of what's going on in our hearts. We can't, we can't quite make sense of what it is. And if we act out of that, what you're going to get? At best, you're going to get something that's muddy. Doesn't matter how, how much you long to get clean water, you're just going to get the muck because it's all meshed in. I remember last time we talked about, and we'll come back to this, we tell ourselves a story with our left brain in order to stop our right brains, our feeling part of us, have permission to express itself. So we get ourselves in a muddle, yeah? Last week, all got all that? Now, what happens in solitude? You see, the thing is, the, the gift of solitude gives opportunity for the law of the universe that God has created to do its work. It's the spiritual law of gravity. So if you have the same scenario where you have your heart, yeah, and you've got, well, that's not quite so good, is it? Because I was getting sort of excited. So we'll just concentrate. That's going to stick my tongue out because that helps me concentrate. Right? Okay. Do you do that? Do you stick your tongue out when you're concentrating? You lie. Some of you do. Some of, some of you do. It's not just me. There we go. Look at that. Thank you very much. What we need to do, so we got all the good stuff. Yeah? The, the bad stuff that's all mixed in. When you stop shaking a glass, what happens? Okay? So it all goes to the bottom. When it goes to the bottom, you can see it. It takes on a clarity that it does not have when it's all mixed in. Are you with me? Now I know what I'm dealing with. I can do something with that. That's the spiritual law of gravity. And when we create space through solitude... That law gets to work on your heart and mine, and it creates a level of clarity that we have not previously had. It's one of the reasons we don't want to go into solitude, because if we're honest, we don't want that clarity. You with me? I don't quite want to see the mess that's inside of me. I'd rather keep with the pretense, wouldn't you? But if I'm going to live out of the depths, 
I've got to be brave enough to seek the clarity. To seek the clarity. As I allowed at different seasons of my life, my stuff to settle, I began to see things that otherwise I would not have seen when it was all churned up. One of the things that as it began to settle, I could see was in my heart was disappointment. Now, whilst it was all churning about and the water was just muddy, I couldn't see that. It was just muddy water. And, and, and you might sense something isn't quite right here. It's all inside is not quite where it should be. It's not as clear as I want it to be. What on earth is it? Solitude. Let it settle brings a clarity. The clarity for me in this instance, in this example, was disappointment. Now, remember, A, it's hard to see it when it's all churned up. B, it's hard to see it even when we get some clarity, because our left brain that doesn't understand our right brain is telling us stories all the time not to give our right brain permission to speak. We did that last time. If you missed that, that's a really important part of this journey. You need to um, find that and, and listen, listen to that. Because we, we tell ourselves stories, and this is how it works out. I'll give another example of it. So my left brain tells me, what on earth have I got to be disappointed about? I mean, what on earth? So my left brain's going, you, it can't possibly be that because you've got nothing to be disappointed about. I am married to the most gifted, beautiful, talented woman in the world. I have four amazing kids that are following Jesus. Not just they've prayed the prayer, but they're actively following Jesus. We've got two grandchildren, one on the inside, one on the outside, that are just the most intelligent, amazing, creative, beautiful, utterly remarkable human beings that have ever lived on this planet until maybe we get a couple of more grandkids and then we'll have to readjust that assessment. But until now, that's exactly the truth. So there's all that surrounding my life. I get to do a job that... Sometimes. No, I get to do a job that I, that I love, that expresses something of who I am. Simon, you can't possibly, whatever's going on in your heart, it can't possibly dis, be disappointment. Can you, can you see? So my, so my mind is telling me a story. I can't possibly be disappointed. And I'm not disappointed about any of those things. In fact, I'm utterly amazed by all of those things. Because as a teenager, when I was all struggling with my identity and my facial disfigurement and all of that stuff, I thought I'll never even be married, let alone have kids and grandkids. Who'd want to marry me? Sorry, love. Someone comes along, picks up the basket case. Grateful. So how can I be possibly disappointed? And yet, as I allowed it to settle, I could see with clarity the disappointment. I could begin to see where it came from. So what was I disappointed about? Well, I'm not going to tell you. That's my stuff. But what you need to know is I do tell some people. That's really important, isn't it? That's boundaries and accountability. Okay, I know what that is, and I do tell some people, but that's me. And you'll be exactly the same. There'll be the stuff that your heart is crying about, and you can't see what it is because it's all churned up. And even when you begin to get some clarity on it, you'll want to put your left brain story on it to stop it speaking. Because your left brain can't stand what it doesn't understand, and it thinking mind doesn't understand feelings, does it? You know that, especially if you're living with a thinker. You know, those incredible 
intelligent people that have got as much common sense as a block of wood. In solitude, you can see it, if we go back, and then deal with it. Does that make sense? Moses is on this journey of getting clarity. And what happens when we see it, then we can begin to deal with it. In fact, this is where, and you might be thinking, oh my word, this is a load of pop psychology. No, 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 this is totally different. Let me tell you why. Pop psychology says you can see it, and then you deal with it. My faith and yours says, yeah, you need to see it, but you can't deal with it. That's why Jesus came to rescue you. Amen? That's why Jesus came, to rescue you. It's brilliant, isn't it? So you can not bother with all of the self-help books in WH Smith or any other brand, because they're saying that you can deal, and you can't. But you can surrender it. In solitude, you can see it and then surrender it. And that's when freedom begins to come. Because you can surrender it to the one who can change it. Isn't that cool? Honestly, this is the journey. This is when the transformation, the discipleship journey, it's all this. Seeing it and surrendering. Let Jesus do his work because you can't fix it. When you see it, you've got to get out of the way and let Jesus in. And sometimes we get stuck because we see some stuff and we try to deal with it ourselves and you strive and you're disappointed and you're exhausted because you're trying to deal with it. What's all this got to do with uh, Moses, Exodus chapter 2? Look at verse 22 with me. Exodus chapter 2, verse 22. When Moses has a son... It becomes for him an opportunity to name something. It's a big life moment, isn't it? And he's reflecting on the journey that he's been on. And he's able in that moment to really take hold of something that he hadn't taken hold of perhaps before. At least to to name his his struggle. Uh, Here we go. Zipporah gave birth to a son. And Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Finally, remember this is not just a day or a week. This is months, years of a journey. Okay, of dealing with his sitting down by the well. He's not just doing that for 10 minutes to get a drink. That's the metaphor by the well. Dealing with his depths. Uh, allowing God to meet him in the deep places. He goes, do you know what? I, I can name. I can name my greatest pain. I can see it. I can see that everything that I was feeling, that everything that screwed me up as a kid, all that abandonment in the bulrushes, all that complexity of living in an Egyptian palace when my own people were in slavery, all that longing to be with my mum when I had to be with her, who was she to look after me, all that anger and resentment and stuff. I was, this is who I was. No wonder I woke up one day and I smashed someone's face in and then I killed them. No wonder. Moses names his greatest pain. After he'd been in the wilderness, the place of solitude for a long time, he's able to see it, to name it. (laughs) And for Moses, freedom is coming. It's ironic, isn't it, that Moses is the greatest freedom leader of the Old Testament. But before he could lead anybody to freedom, he needed to find that freedom for himself. And that's what he's doing here in Midian, almost as God-forsaken as mid-Wales. Ah, The spiritual law of gravity did its work. 
and a clarity emerged. So let's go back to our core idea. We're coming into land. You'll be pleased to know. Which means absolutely nothing. It's just what we say, but we're not sure what to say next. Solitude is God's gift to deal with our depths. A biblical pattern. Do you see it? Do you see it? We've been nodding and wink to it a little bit already. Do you see it? Abraham, what did Abraham do for years? What did Abraham do for years? First big character in the Bible. He wandered around. Thank you, Jack. He wandered around. That's what he did for years. He, he wandered around. Why was it such a long time before the promise came into being? Was God the problem or Abraham? He wandered around for years. Think about Joseph. What happened to Joseph for years before he stepped into God's fullness? He was in prison. He was in prison for years. So we're still in the book of Genesis. We've got the two massive characters that were introduced. We haven't even got to Moses and Exodus, but we've got this pattern emerging that out of solitude, out of wilderness, out of, out of, um, uh, uh, fleeing, out of going away, out of getting out of the picture, getting out of the way just for yourself and God, comes the opportunity of return. Retreat, return. That same picture that we were talking about earlier on. And then you get this here in Exodus. What's going to happen to, well, what's, what's God doing with Moses? God's getting him out of the way for a long time so that he can sit down by a well and he can deal with his inner stuff. What about the man named after God's own heart? What was his name in the Bible? David. What did he spend most of his early life doing? So he was in mid Wales, wasn't he, with all the sheep? Just on his own, with his sling, sitting around, worshipping, getting in touch with his soul. What would he say? He'd say things like, why so downcast, oh my soul? Why am I in such a... He's getting in touch with his inner being. Can you see that? Psalm 103. Is it Psalm 103? I think it is. But you know the one. And he's kind of like speaking to him. He's saying, oh, if I, if I allow my inner being to speak, it's all messed up and it's hurting and it's un- What's going on here when God's this great God and he, he does a load of left brain stuff because his right brain can't match it. He's going, I'm in a stew here and I don't understand why I've got all these feelings and I'm trying to work them out. Well, why? Because he's giving himself space and solitude to be with God. Name a, name a really big character in the New Testament. Paul. Great. Good shout, Paul. What did he do after he was converted? He went away somewhere. Anywhere, any advance on somewhere? He had his own version of fleeing, his own version of retreating. One day he would return, but he retreated. Where did he go? Anyone know? He went to Arabia, which is the desert. The solitude place. How long did he go there for? He went there for three years and he was super religious. Religion can really screw you up. Took him three years to untangle all that mess that had happened in his life. 
all that religious ritual stuff. He met Jesus, was totally changed, knew the Bible inside out. He had so much head knowledge, his head was bursting. He was like a tadpole with a massive head and just a little body. And, and then he had to go away to get it all sorted out because he was a mess. The highest religious person in, in the whatever. Religion can mess you up. So can you see the pattern? The retreating and the returning. Now, those examples, most of them had the luxury of getting their insides sorted out before they'd really made a mess of it, at least in Christian terms. Paul, thinking of Paul as a new beginning. But so, so they, they, they got the insides sorted. Not everybody had that opportunity. Think of someone who was leading well, but hadn't got their insides sorted out in the Bible. Who would you go for? Peter is a great example. So he's beginning to lead and he's trying to lead the other disciples and he gets around a fire pit and a slave girl says you were with him and what does he do? He acts right out of the shadows, shallows because he hasn't dealt with his inner world. So do you know what Peter does before he meets Jesus on the beach? And has that encounter with God. Before you have an encounter with God, you have to have an encounter with yourself. So what did Peter do? He went, he went fishing. He went fishing. Now, what you, do you do when you go fishing? Come on, fishing is the most boring, isolating, solitude-inducing thing you could possibly ever do, isn't it? Don't go fishing when you're hungry. Flipping act. He goes, I'm just going to go back and be with myself. I'm going to go fishing. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to flee. I'm going to retreat. But that wasn't the end of the story, was it? Peter, an Old Testament example of someone midway, maybe in leadership terms, could we see leaders crash all the time? And this is why. So at the leadership terms, he was at the top of his game. Who's that? Top of his game and then a massive crash. He, he was one. He never recovered. Saul never recovered. He never dealt with his inner stuff. He was jealous and angry the whole of his life. He's an interesting case study. He never recovered. Samson, did he recover? Maybe for a moment, pull the pillars down. Okay, David, we've mentioned already. So David, he got his heart sorted out. He's a brilliant example of the way that your heart can become corrupt again. You can, you, you can, you can just pull into the spiritual lay-by and the gunk begins to fill again. David, brilliant example of that. person I was thinking of was Elijah. Top of his game, the prophets of Baal, hundreds of them. He's so full of faith, he makes fun of them, all that stuff, calls down fire. He has this amazing revival in the nation. And then he sits down at the end of it and goes, do you know what? I'm dead. I'm useless. I'm rubbish. No one loves me. God, you've abandoned me. I'd just like to die. Just like that. Total crash. Because his inner world was still screwed. He wasn't living out of the shallow, out of the depths, but living out of the shallows. And so again and again, you get this, this, this rhythm. Um, you got the idea. Let, let me just show you one last thing and then properly we're done. Yeah. This is, it feels important just for a minute. You okay? If, if you, if you just want to go, that's really cool. I won't be offended, but I just got five minutes. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter one. This is super important. And, and people don't see it. No one talks about it. It's another one of those ways. Exodus chapter 2, no one talks about it, at least not in the way that I've been. And you might say there's a reason for that. Um, Mark chapter 1. 
halfway down, you can see we pick up the story about Jesus, yeah? Jesus begins his ministry, he gets baptized, and where does he go straight away? He goes straight away, the first place he goes to, the first thing he does is to go into the desert, who place of solitude. The Bible uses the Greek word eremos, E-R-E-M-O-S. That's not clever, you just Google it, okay? Just Google it. There's nothing smart about that, but that's the word that's used in the Greek, okay? The wilderness. In fact, the, uh, the actual most literal way to translate it is the solitary place. He went into a place of solitude. Even Jesus had to deal with the potential pressures that were lurking in the depths of his soul. I'm not saying he was sinful in any way and he needed to resolve that, but he needed to get his identity straight. He needed to understand what his human vulnerabilities were. Even Jesus needed to go and he went into the desert for how many days? 40 days. Then what happens next? He has a full day of action. Day one. Mark chapter 1. Yeah, can you read that there? He has an absolute blast. He's casting out demons, healing people, preaching away, calling disciples. He's having an absolute ball. It's going absolutely mad. And he has a fabulous day and he works great late into the evening. He's had a fabulous first day. All good? See that in the Bible? That's all there. Okay? Now, if you'd have a fabulous day, your first day was totally fabulous, what would you want to do the next day? Oh, I, I like where Katie's going. So yeah, I, I'd like to have a lie in the next day because I worked jolly hard. It was really successful. So I, Katie's version is to stay in bed and eat chocolate. I might like to just have a lazy morning, go out for brunch because it was all going swimmingly well. We've pushed the kingdom of darkness back a little bit. Let's take a chill. Or some of us are more activists than that. We'd want to get up early and get on with the task. We had a great day today. What if we have an even better day tomorrow? Let's go. What does it say Jesus did the next day? He went to a solitary place. Same word. We miss it in English because it's translated different in your Bible probably. He went to the Eremos. So he's done one day of work. This is Jesus now. And no wonder he doesn't turn up and do our jobs. He can hardly do a day's work. Then he wants a break. He gets up in the morning and he goes off into solitude again. This is day one of the ministry of Jesus. Did Jesus make a decent enough impact on the world? Yeah, okay, so we're, we're cool with what he achieved, with his, our success barometer is cool. But look at where it's all coming from. Now look what we also skipped over. The first part of Mark begins not with Jesus, but with who? John the Baptist. Where did John the Baptist minister? The whole movement of Jesus comes out of the solitary place. You see that? The whole movement of Jesus comes out of that willingness to go to the depths of your own soul and to meet God there. The whole movement of Jesus comes out of the willingness to be real. We avoid the wilderness the whole time because we're happy to splash in the shallows. And I think we also avoid it because we're not sure that solitude works, right? Solitude doesn't work. You might say, I'm an introvert and I'm still well grumpy. Or you might say, actually, I spend loads of time on my own 
and I feel lonely and anxious. I, I totally, totally get that. That's not solitude either. That's just being on your own. There's a difference. Some of you go, I'm an intro- extrovert, and I tried solitude for two minutes, and I could hardly breathe. It's one of those things that we think we've tried and perhaps haven't got to the depths of it. And we're going to look at that next week. So I invite you to come back next week. It will be online, but there'll be a hundred pounds per episode download fee. Um, so if you want to have it cheaper, bring your tithe and come next Sunday and we can do it here and there. It was a win-win all round, yeah? Just in case there's any concern. There's a winky face on the screen for those of you who are listening to it online and think we're suddenly into the prosperity gospel and are only interested in what people bring financially. I'll ask you to do something this week. It's high bar. You'll think it's easy, but it's high bar. I want you this week every day, to spend five minutes doing nothing. That's it. Nothing. Just five minutes. And then we'll regroup next week. Sound like a plan? Five minutes, doing nothing. Every day. Piece of cake. What do you think? Remember, mind, will, soul. What you're thinking, ooh, he's got a point there. The Bible does seem to say this is quite important. Mm -hmm. Will, I'm going to do something about it, five minutes every day. So, how does that make me feel? What are you feeling right now? How does that make you feel? Jack, come and help us sing as we bring our thoughts together. How does it make you feel? Jesus, I'm inviting you to help us because honestly, I'd rather play in the shallows than go to the depths sometimes. It's more familiar. It's easier. I, I can quickly make myself feel comfortable by fleeing to certain things. I can anesthetize myself just for a moment from the things that trouble me. And then I go back to them like a dog returning to its vomit. Because I'm only in the shallows. I, I, and then I want to go deeper. But I'm scared about going deeper. I'm scared about what's inside of me that's all messed up that I can't quite see yet. I know it's not quite right. I, I want your help to see it, to surrender it. <laughs> Thank you for Moses. Thank you that freedom's coming as we see and surrender. Thank you for the beautiful journey of this man who was in such a mess internally that he made such a mess externally. And he's the guy that you use to do something remarkable. This hope for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And as I think about that metaphor of the well, think about what I need as I dig into the depths of my soul, as I go deep into myself. Actually, I know that I thirst and I know that I need a drink. And so I come to the spring of living water. I come to Jesus the water, the river of life. And I choose to drink there. I choose to stop at the well. That the real me might meet with the real you. 
and I might drink and be satisfied.